This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your ruggedly handsome host this week. Now before we get into this week's topic, I do have a brief apology to make. On last week's show, I was discussing the talks between Dwight Eisenhower and Winston Churchill over D-Day, and I accidentally referred to Eisenhower as president at the time. Uh, That is not true. He became president later. At the time, though, he was considered the supreme commander of Allied Expeditionary Forces. And so when he threatened to resign, he was threatening to resign from that position, uh, not as president. That's my mistake, and so I apologize. So let's go ahead and dive into this week's topic. So this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Bahrain Peace Conference that's going to be taking place on June 25th and June 26th hosted by the United States. Now, this conference was announced a month or so ago, and it is the plan for the Trump administration, particularly Jared Kushner and his team, to roll out the first kind of section of their major peace plan, which is designed to improve the Palestinian economy, create a lot of jobs, improve quality of life for the Palestinian people, and ultimately to hopefully attract a lot of money uh, in private investment and government aid to help pay for a lot of this. Now, a lot of Americans, actually a lot of people around the world, are pretty convinced that Trump's highly controversial plan for peace here in the Middle East, particularly in the Palestinian territories, is unlikely to to succeed. But that is, I think, missing the point of what's taking place here. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit later in the episode. But uh, first, let's talk a little bit about this conference itself. Uh, so this conference is something that the Trump administration is is trying to roll out to improve relationships across the Arab world, improve living conditions of, of Arabs in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, and they're doing it through, through, the, through economics, basically. And so what they're doing is they're inviting a lot of finance ministers from, from all of these different countries. And this isn't really something that's about boundaries or flags or nationalities. It's about creating more jobs and wages and schools and clean water and other infrastructure like electricity and roads. And so ultimately what he's really trying to do here is to create peace through through the economy, which if you know much about Trump being a businessman prior to getting into politics, that makes a lot of sense from his perspective. But the Palestinian Authority, in particular the Prime Minister, a man by the name of Mohammed Shtaya, uh, he has basically said that he doesn't think this is this is um, appropriate, that any solution to the conflict in Palestine must be political, that's a direct quote, and based on ending the occupation. And so he doesn't believe that an economic peace plan is the right move here. And so the Palestinian leaders have actually said no to attending this conference and that's actually it's really interesting because that the whole plan is about improving the lives of the palestinian people and we've seen this kind of attitude among the palestinians reflected across as i said the palestinian authority but also across hamas which rules a different part of the the, uh, palestinian territories 
and uh, one of the Hamas officials, I'm going to quote him here, Fawzi Barhum, he says, we, we reject any economic and political steps that implement the deal of the century or normalize ties with the Israeli enemy. And so both, the, but both of the leadership groups of the Palestinian territories, Hamas and the PA, are rejecting this conference. And historically, what we would see here is that the rest of the Arab world would follow the lead of these two Palestinian organizations. And yet, this is where I think we're kind of missing the point about what's really going on here, because what we're seeing is the Arab world, for the first time in a long time, is actually not following that Palestinian lead. Now, before we get too far down that road, let's back up again, and I want to talk a little bit about Bahrain. Uh, Bahrain is the location for for this conference that's going to be taking place in late June. And there's some questions as to, you know, why Bahrain of all places? Bahrain is a country in the Middle East. It's kind of in the Gulf region. And so the, the idea here is that it's kind of reflecting a partnership that's been taking place between the United States and the kind of the Gulf area that Trump has really been focused on in the region. Now, Bahrain participating in this conference and actually hosting the conference is suggestive that the Gulf states as a whole, but obviously Bahrain specifically, may be willing to move forward on Trump's, as I said, the Trump administration's kind of vision of the the Gulf states' investment in, in Palestine as, as part of some sort of future uh, peace plan here. Now, this also has some broader implications for the rest of the Middle East as well. Uh, we've seen, historically, the Arab states kind of band together against any sort of Israeli measures or Western measures. But of late, there has been, I should say, there have been a few different moves that suggest certain states are starting to view the country of Iran as a larger geopolitical threat in the region than Israel. We've seen this from Saudi Arabia. We've seen this from Jordan. Small steps, but you know, just kind of hints that they might be shifting in terms of who they view as the most threatening. And so this move by Bahrain, which has long been uh, increasing in kind of their their wariness towards towards Iran and military proliferation of weapons within that country. Bahrain looks like they may be on board with this as well. And so this kind of road that they view towards curbing the ability of Iran to gain in strength reflects kind of long-standing held concerns within Bahrain and their, their capital city of Manama uh, to, to challenge some of the hostile actions that they think the country of Iran has taken. And so the, the location of this peace conference ultimately is going to bring a lot of these these concerns directly to the forefront with regards to how the rest of the Middle East views the country of Iran and views their relationship with Israel and the Palestinian territories as well. Because the there have been increasingly strained tensions between Saudi Arabia and Jordan and obviously now Bahrain and other countries with, with Iran that at least seem to be suggesting that it's surpassing the relationship or the strained tensions that they've had with Israel over the years. And so we might actually be seeing kind of a, a shift in relationships across the Middle East. And what we're seeing too is this may be a sentiment that is shared beyond these few countries. Now, Israel itself obviously seems to want to attend this conference. They have not been a formally 
invited as of the time of this recording, but uh, they are expected to be invited very shortly. The United States wanted to kind of nail down enough participation from Arab states before they invited Israel, but they are expected to receive that invitation soon. And the finance minister of Israel is expected to be very eager to attend as well. Now, as I said, there are a few different countries that uh, have kind of been showing hints that they might be a little bit more open towards cooperation with Israel. That's Saudi Arabia, obviously now Bahrain, Jordan. All three of those have signed on to attending the conference, but they are not the only ones. Uh, There were four countries that kind of did it right off the bat. Obviously, Bahrain is the host. Saudi Arabia did very quickly, the country of Qatar, and the, the United Arab Emirates, or the UAE. And then those were recently joined, uh, just in the last few days, by Jordan. As I said, they were expected to. Egypt and Morocco. So two countries in North Africa as well. But I think this actually has larger implications beyond just this initial plan. And interestingly, too, I, I've been very critical of, of Donald Trump for a lot of different reasons on this podcast. And if you know me outside of the podcast, outside as well. But this is actually, I think, a very shrewd move on his part to really focus on the economics here. Because it's going to, I think, I, I believe, create kind of a, a controversy or I should say a, con- a heated conversation among the Palestinian people. And not only just the Palestinian people, but Arabs in general across the region on whether or not these proposals to make the lives of Palestinians better is something that the Palestinian Authority should be turning down. And I think it turns the focus kind of away from the traditional kind of Israel-Palestine conflict and turns it into we're trying to actually help the people of Palestine, as I said earlier, build infrastructure, roads, uh, increase their ability to get electricity and water and schools and all of these things. And this is the first time that an American administration has ever offered such a detailed financial plan to really improve the Palestinian economy, to improve the Palestinian infrastructure. And so Trump unveiling kind of the economic portion of his you know kind of long-term peace plan here, I think could be viewed as a very wise move. Um, and so credit where it's due, I have not been the, the most thrilled with some of Trump's actions in the past, but I think this is something that might actually uh, have some some serious implications in, in, in a positive way for the region and for the United States' relationship with the region as well, especially now that we have uh, seven different Arab countries who have shown that they are interested in playing a part in this, or at least showing up to the conference, which I believe in years past would never have happened. Uh, as I said, usually they tend to follow the the Palestinian lead, and they're not doing so at this point. Now, we're going to take a short break uh, for commercials, and I'll be back with you on the other side, continue talking about this conference and kind of what it might mean going forward. Uh, So just stick with me through this quick commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys in just a minute. Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that short commercial break. We're going to go ahead and dive right back into the topic for this week. Now, before the break, we were talking about the upcoming peace conference or peace workshop the Trump administration is putting together in Bahrain over the Palestinian territories. And I think this is something that, as I kind of hinted at beforehand, could have some some pretty drastic implications, some very long-term consequences here that may be underlying some, some tectonic shifts across the Middle East. 
Uh, a lot of people, especially Americans, Europeans, people in the West, are convinced that this has no chance of success, right? But as, as I talked about beforehand, I think they're kind of missing the point of what's going on here. It is true that we see the Palestinian people, or sorry, sorry the Palestinian Authority, which is the leadership of the Palestinian people, and Hamas, which is another gov governing body there, they seem to be really hardening their stance, you know, hardline position against any sort of peace deal here. But what we're seeing, and I think this is really the point of what's going on, or the, the most important point, I should say, is that the Arab states, particularly kind of the Gulf states, but also across North Africa, are starting to warm to the idea of some sort of peace deal here with the Jewish state of Israel. And it may be minor. These may be very small steps. They may be showing up to the conference really in name only, and they're not going to sign on to things. That all remains to be seen. The conference isn't until the 25th and 26th of this month. But those thawing, I should say, the, the hints of thawing in this relationship between the Arab states and the West, and in particular the Arab states and Israel, and kind of the Israel-Palestine conflict, I think are harbingers of something much larger that may be taking place kind of behind the scenes as countries start to change who they see as the biggest challenger to peace and stability in the Middle Eastern region, as the country of Iran has frequently been named as kind of the, the more dangerous challenger there. And so their relationship with Israel seems to be softening, while their relationship with, with Iran in particular seems to be, be hardening here. Now, this conference, as I mentioned, is only about economics. Uh, so only finance ministers were invited to this. Political foreign ministers were not. This conference is not about politics. It's not about boundaries. It's not about uh, sovereignty. It's, it's really about jobs. It's about infrastructure. It's about economy. It's about water, electricity, trade, these type of things. And so this conference here, I think, is a, a very big deal for, for multiple reasons. First, several of these countries, including Bahrain itself, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, they don't actually have any sort of formal relationship politically or diplomatically with Israel. And yet we see them kind of publicly stepping forward to meet with officials from the Jewish state who will also be at this conference. And it's taking place in the heart of the Arab world. This isn't like something that's taking place you know, in, in Warsaw, which we'll talk about that in a second, but there was a, another conference in Poland not that long ago. The big thing here is that we're starting to see some of these countries that have long held frosty relationships with Israel starting to thaw those out. And the other kind of big element here is that the, the relationship between the Palestinian authority, or the Palestinian leadership in particular, and the other Arab states appears to be dividing as well. As I mentioned, there was another conference in Warsaw, Poland, not that long ago. This conference on how to like create economic growth towards peace comes really right on the heels of a different conference that took place not that long ago about how to create lasting security in the Middle East. This was held in February, as I said, in Warsaw, Poland. And 60 different countries, including the Saudis, the UAE, Bahrain, uh, Yemen was there, and Israel all participated. And the Palestinian people, or sorry, the Palestinian leadership again, said no. And so this is the second conference in a row that was about creating peace and stability. And the Palestinian leadership is, is refusing to attend. And on top of that, they openly encouraged, I should say, their fellow Arab countries to avoid attending as well. And for the second conference in a row, they appear to be unsuccessful here. And this is unprecedented, really, because as I've mentioned a couple times now, historically, the Palestinian 
authority has kind of been leading the way and other other Arab states have kind of just followed their lead. And so it appears that the Palestinian leadership is is losing a lot of their influence bit by bit, but they do appear to be losing their influence over over the rest of the Arab world who may be losing patience with the the way that they are handling themselves and their outright rejection of any sort of peace deal or any sort of in this case an improvement plan for infrastructure and economics. And so while the, the suffering of the Palestinian people obviously merits a lot of sympathy, you know, no matter who you are, if you're in the Arab world or the Western world or, or wherever, the Palestinian people are, are suffering under the authority, the PA and Hamas, and there's a lot of sympathy here. And I think a lot of the Arab countries are starting to realize that the Palestinian leadership and the way that they just keep kind of outright rejecting any sort of possible suggestion on how to improve their lives may not be the best route. And so we're seeing that that um, that patience waning, I believe. And so this, I think, has some, some implications for what this relationship will look like going forward. Because a lot of these countries, especially the Gulf states, may be looking at the Palestinian Authority and saying, are they, are you really negotiating here in good faith? Are you really trying to to better the lives of your people? Or do you have some sort of larger personal political goals that are only going to cause your people to suffer more? And we have seen a couple precedents for this in the past. Going back in the 1970s, uh, the Egyptian president, a man by the name of Anwar Sadat, signed a peace treaty with Israel, granted 40 years of peace here. Uh, Jordan did the same thing in the 90s. They they uh, signed a treaty with Israel again. This, and both, in both these cases, Egypt and Jordan basically decided we need to put the national interest of our people first. And they didn't wait for the Palestinians to, to sign off on anything. And so there is a little bit of precedent for this in the past, Egypt and Jordan. And so the Gulf states in particular, as well as you know, Morocco and some of these other countries that are have been invited and are planning to attend, they are having to make a very similar decision now. You know, rather than waiting for the Palestinians to come up with their own plan or waiting to follow the Palestinian leadership's lead, the Gulf states may be considering here whether or not they could really benefit from some sort of partial or even or just a limited deal with Israel against countries like Iran um, and the rise of, say, terrorist groups, violent extremists that they view as maybe larger existential threats to their their country than Israel, which they have historically seen as a threat, but you know hasn't really been a threat to them for quite some time now. And so this could be, this conference could be a pretty historic breakthrough for peace in the Middle East. Now, obviously, the Palestinians are pretty much saying no way to this. And so it's not like this conference is going to end all fighting or end all hostility. But by shifting kind of the balance of power here, even in a very minor thing, we could be seeing the very small precursors to peace and prosperity in the region and start to create a bit more of a, a secure Middle East. Now, obviously, there's a long way to go before we can say any of that for sure. But as we're starting to see countries like Jordan, Egypt, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar, the UAE start to participate in some of these broader talks that do include Israel. This is something that we just haven't seen before. Now, obviously, attending the conference does not mean that any of these countries 
will ultimately accept the peace plan that Trump's administration is putting forward. And in fact, I, I kind of expect there to be quite a few countries who balk at that. But as Jordan's King Abdullah told his media just last week, you know, his country is taking part in these international conferences because they don't want to be left out of the room. And this has been a, a similar sentiment that they want to be involved. They want to be in the conversation on these, these talks. Even if they don't end up accepting it, they want to be a part of it. And again, the Trump administration, whether or not they get the Palestinians on board, which it looks like they definitely will not, whether or not they get these other countries on board, which is you know a coin flip at this point, I think that's, that's kind of missing the point of what's really taking place here and what we really should be focusing on, that for the first time in a while, we're actually seeing some of these countries come to the negotiating table. Whether or not they come away with a deal, maybe up in the air, and in fact, as I said, I expect several of the countries to not agree to the deal. Whether or not they all do, I don't know. But coming to the negotiating table is a really big first step. And we're gonna see countries like, I would argue, Jordan, leading the way on this. Jordan has historically been a key player in kind of the political battle here with with Israel. They've been one of the more friendly states towards Israel. They have a peace treaty, as I said, signed uh, with Israel in the 90s. A majority of its citizens are Palestinian ethnically. Actually, ethnically, there's no real difference between, like, say, the Jordanian people and the Palestinian territory people. They're the same ethnic group. And so we see that they have ethnic ties here. But also, Jordan has played a pretty big role in keeping a lot of Islam's holy sites within Jerusalem safe. Jordan has been kind of one of the ones that's been entrusted with keeping this, the peace and stability in Jerusalem over some of the, the Muslim holy sites there. And so whether or not they come to some sort of agreement that they sign off on, or that that's beside the point, I think, at this point. Obviously, we would love for them to do that, and that would be completely historic if that happened, but simply getting them to the table to at least consider the plan as kind of a baseline for future negotiations, I think counts as a win and, and credit where it's due. This is a pretty big deal. And while a lot in the media are, are focusing on, oh, there's no way it'll actually pass. Again, that misses the point. That's that's not really what's what's important here. What's important is that we're seeing countries get to that table. And obviously, as I said, not all of them are in addition to the Palestinian Authority, Lebanon, as I mentioned, was the first one to say that they were going to, to stay away. Uh, Iraq has said that they are not going to be there either. And so Iraq is staying away. Lebanon is staying away. And I, I imagine there will be several other countries as well. Iran, many of the others in the area are still undecided. But we're getting seven countries at the moment, again, at the time of this recording, that will be there. And so the support of the countries in the region is going to be seen as very, very critical uh, for this, this kind of peace proposal success. But even if it doesn't work, even if it fails, and again, it's quite likely to fail, the, the broader implications for the Middle East and the relationships that are taking place there, I think, are of much bigger importance than whether or not this plan succeeds or not. The Palestinians explicitly asked several of the Arab states, including Egypt, including Jordan, including Morocco, don't participate. And yet they are. And so that relationship already seems to be fracturing between the Palestinian leadership and these other countries who are starting to realize that the PA and Hamas may not have their citizens' best interest at heart. And so I encourage you guys over the next week and a half, really pay attention to this. Which countries do ultimately choose to show up? 
what the end result of it is, whether or not they sign the treaty, whether or not they seem to have to leave the conference on, on a good relationship front, all of these things could be a really important going forward for what the Middle East looks like 10 years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. And so frankly, even though there's a lot of uncertainty still here about this conference and what the outcome might be, depending on how we define success here, this could still be a pretty extraordinary feat. I mean, simply bringing them together is is a success in, in a sense, because if, as well, as long as we define success as getting the Israelis and Arab states talking openly. And even if we don't see success on the sense of you know, driving, you know, a level time of peace between Israel and Palestine, simply getting this kind of long list of countries together at the negotiating table in one place to discuss this, I think marks a pretty significant achievement for the United States and for the Trump administration as a whole. And frankly, too, a lot of people, when this conference was first announced, publicly dismissed it. A lot of these political experts around the world, especially here in the West, a lot of analysts we're very down on it, but as we start to see this list of attendees grow, and we've added, as I said, we started with four and now added another three, I think that really any sort of gesture here that, that even hints at a thawing of relationships, a thawing of ties between Israel and the Arab states can really only be seen as a victory, uh, regardless of whether or not the Palestinian Authority attends, regardless of whether or not a deal is signed, regardless of whether or not this actually brings about Palestinian-Israeli peace. And so while the conference itself is unlikely to achieve very much, and again, I kind of doubt many countries, if any, will sign on to the peace plan, even in its very kind of limited goal of economics as opposed to all the political stuff. But simply allowing the countries to come together and talk, to share ideas, discuss strategy, etc. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting them to the to the table. And I think that's that's a pretty pretty big deal even if it doesn't have any sort of tangible results economically or politically. And and frankly, just seeing kind of what the plan is that Washington ultimately will unveil there could be very intriguing as well. The the precise details of it have not been revealed again at the time of this recording. And so I'm I'm very curious to see what that is. Uh, now, there is actually, ironically, a kind of counter meeting that is taking place at the same time. The Palestinian Authority has announced that they are going to have an, an alternate conference in Lebanon. I'm not entirely sure what their whole plan is for the whole conference, but it's supposed to coincide with the, the June 25th and 26th meeting. And basically, they're going to use it to to object uh, to what the U.S. is is proposing even though, again, it hasn't been announced and there will be quite a few countries in attendance with the United States in Bahrain. Now, the relationship between the United States and the Palestinian leadership has soured over the last few years, especially since Trump has come to office. The U.S. announced they're relocating their embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem as, as Israel's capital. The embassy used to be in Tel Aviv. It has been moved to Jerusalem, which was a pretty big deal that the Palestinian leadership was not happy with. The Trump administration also ceased giving aid to the Palestinian Authority, saying that, that they were misusing it, and so they, they backed off on giving a lot of aid to the government there as well. And so the relationship here has really soured between the United States and the Palestinian Authority. But what we're seeing is that that relationship might also be souring between the Palestinian Authority and Arab countries. 
But I would highly encourage you guys to just keep a very close eye on this. I think this is actually has the potential to be one of Trump's biggest successes of his entire presidency, depending on kind of the outcome of this. And, and frankly, the fact that he's even got them to the negotiating table is a pretty big deal to begin with. It will potentially have um, ramifications that continue through the Middle East for years to come as we see the relationships between all of these countries start to, to shift. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode. And I will definitely keep you guys in the loop as this conference goes forward. Hopefully after the 25th and 26th, I'll be able to do another episode where we talk about kind of the results of what happened. Uh, but I would encourage you guys just keep following this on your own as well. Uh, I think this is, it has the potential to be a pretty massive, massive deal as no American president has ever managed to, to do this. And, and we've never had kind of a financial plan rolled out from, the, from an American administration with this much detail on, on really improving the lives of the Palestinians and really focusing on building an economy, building infrastructure and these sorts of things. It's, it's actually fairly historic in that sense. Um, but with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and close things out. So thanks so much for tuning in and listening this week. I really appreciate it. Uh, continue to spread the word about the podcast. Tell your friends. Uh, you know, tell people about it. I, I would really appreciate that. If you're interested in getting in contact with me, you can always find me on Twitter. My username is Justin R underscore Kinney. You find me, hit that follow button, send me a message, tweet at me. I'd be happy to continue this conversation or any other with you at that point. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook if you'd rather. I have an author page there. I write fiction novels. I have two fiction novels out called Precipice and Splintered State. Uh, and they're both under my author name, J. Robert Kinney. And you can find that page on Facebook as well. Again, hit that subscribe button, the like button, and we can continue conversations there as well. Uh, if you'd like to support this podcast or advertise on the podcast in any way, please get in contact with me. I would be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. But in the meantime, uh, I will see you guys next week here on Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one.